Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today we are talking about Scotch whiskey. Yeah, Scotch whiskey. And uh, today will be one of those times when we don't have an odd drop because while I've been looking for them, I keep getting distracted <laughs> by things, which I'll come into later because this is the intro and we shouldn't get <laughs> the, caught the up. The sheer ridiculousness of a certain thing. This is A Good Drop. Yep. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Taken aback uh, a bit because my <laughs> yeah. my search for something with an odd name. I found a lot of scotches with Scottish names, which mm. aren't odd. They're just Scotch. But well, could be a little funny, but not necessarily that odd, given that we're talking about Scotch whiskey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But mm. um, yeah, the the thing that kept blowing me away, the thing that I suppose is odd, is the prices of some of these vintage whiskies. <laughs> the sheer ridiculousness of these prices. Of these prices. The, the, <laughs> the first one I came across that I went, what? Was the, the 40-year Glenfiddich, mm. which is... Sounds for, fantastic. Yeah, it sounds amazing, but at $4,900 Australian, oh, undoubtedly shit. less US. Yeah, that was... I, I was wow. uh, amazed. that I mean, that... That's like two hundred and twenty dollars per shot. Holy shit! To to if you were to buy it and then actually drink it, and I thought that surely nothing could be more expensive than that. And I continued my search for an odd drop, and wouldn't you know it? <laughs> I then discovered the Belveni fifty year, which is forty seven thousand dollars. That that's not even the best part about it. No, there's, there's a review. Yeah, the the best part is that it's out of stock. And at first, I thought out of stock. That means that at some point they had it, and then they sold it. And there is a review. The guy drank it. He spent somebody spent forty seven thousand dollars on a bottle of scotch. That's like two grand a shot. And two and a half thousand dollars per shot, folks. And then he drank it, and. According to his review, he gave it five stars for both enjoyment and value for money. Oh, good. For, good. for this $47,000 scotch. So if it's if it's value for money at $47,000... That's got to be some fucking amazing scotch. Yeah, that's, that's a scotch that makes you weep not just for how beautiful it is, but the fact <laughs> that you will never enjoy another scotch as long as you live. <laughs> and... His review simply says, an exquisite scotch, truly one of the greatest malts crafted. It has such an unsurpassed complexity that is impossible not to smile about. Good. Th- that's it. That's, that's the review. Now, if mm. I spent $47,000 on a scotch, I'd write a freaking ode to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> write a novel on it. Write a novel. Sell the novel. Try and recoup some of the $47,000 I suppose, that I spent on that scotch. I suppose when you're spending $47,000 on a scotch, you'd not have, not have to worry about much. Unless perhaps he pulled it out of the couch cushions in his jet or something. Mm. Or he um, found it in his wallet while he was walking around his billion-dollar mansion. Who knows? Yeah, could have been flying to his billion-dollar mansion in a G6 from his other billion-dollar mansion. <laughs> we, we don't know. It could be one of the 
one of the three percent could be. So let's let's talk about something a little more reasonable. Let's talk about our our good drop, which we're currently drinking, which is slightly more reasonable at sixty two dollars per bottle. At sixty two dollars per bottle, yeah. yes, and because there, there are obviously cheaper Scotch whiskies. Yeah, heaps heaps of cheap Scotch whiskies, but I I've drunk a lot of scotches and I've found that between fifty and sixty five dollars is fifty and sixty five dollars Australian is around the best you you get the best value for money for scotches. Yeah, for for something that you want to drink by itself and appreciate by itself, that's the price range to look at. For the lower for the lower priced ones, things like in your thirty to $45 a bottle range. Mm. They can be okay. They can be okay, but you'll probably want to mix it with something, even if it's mm. just a splash of water. Yeah. Or <laughs> or a uh, Rosso vermouth. Yes, if you want to make an old fashioned... Not an old-fashioned, sorry. Manhattan. A Manhattan, yeah. yes. I've still got that bottle of vermouth from the... Um, Man- not Manhattan episode, the Bitters episode. The Bitters episode, yeah. yeah. Like, three weeks later, I've still got it because... I don't normally drink vermouth or Manhattans, so I'm like, shit, i got to drink this before it goes off. Mm, so, so you've got to have more Manhattans. Yeah, that means I've got to buy... Well, I really should be drinking it with rye whiskey, but I've been drinking it with scotch because that's all I have. Because mm. obviously, scotch whiskey, by definition, cannot be a rye whiskey. No, it's... Well, it could be. Well, scotch whiskey is either a malt whiskey or grain whiskey. Yeah. Uh, according to the sets, originally all Scotch whiskies were made from malted barley. Yes. But commercial distilleries began introducing whiskies made from wheat. Oh, and rye. So there we go. It was actually mm. in my notes. I I knew better already. In mm. in the late eighteenth century, they introduced wheat and rye. So you could get mm. a rye Scotch whiskey. I doubt they'd make a straight rye Scotch. Yeah. No. It's it's it, usually a, malt and. It'll be a blended. Yeah. yeah. But um, well, it could be a single. Malt rye, because in when it comes to scotches, the term blended does not refer to the blending of two ingredients, but rather the blending of things produced in two distilleries. Yes, it gets very complex. It does. Let's get into it. Let's get into <laughs> how complex it is. Hell yeah! Because Scotch whiskey is divided into five distinct categories, according to the regulations set down in two thousand nine. And uh, so there's single malt Scotch whiskey. Single grain Scotch whiskey, blended malt Scotch whiskey, blended grain Scotch whiskey, and blended Scotch whiskey. So, or you could separate those into singles, and, singles and gra- and blended. So yeah, single so, malt, yeah, single grain, and then blended. Yeah. So there's the the two base types, which mm. are single malt Scotch, which is produced in a single distillery by batch distillation in pot stills using only water and malted Mm. barley. Which is what we're drinking today. Which is what we're drinking today. We've got uh, single grain Scotch whiskey, which is distilled at a single distillery, but as well as water and malted barley, can also use whole grains or other malted or unmalted cereals. And uh, the word single does not mean that they only used one type of grain, but that it was produced in a single distillery, with usually with a mixture of grains to form one scotch in that distillery. And mm. and then, so you've got blended malt scotch whiskey, which means a blend of two or more single malt scotch whiskies from different distilleries. Uh, blended 
grain scotch whiskey, which is the same thing, but with grain scotch instead of malt scotch. And then your blended scotch whiskey, which is a blend of one or more single malt scotch whiskeys with one or more single grain scotch whiskeys. Hmm. So, <laughs> whatever's left. <laughs> and uh, the reason why they've gone into such immense detail is that prior to the 2009 regulation, it was actually possible for some Scotch whiskies to define themselves in more than one category. Yeah, which is which sort of defeats the purpose of having categories. If you've got a single grain Scotch whisky or a blended malt Scotch whisky, and you go down the road and the the same thing is getting sold as a single malt or single grain scotch whiskey, someone's not going to be happy. Because if you're looking for a particular thing, when the same thing is getting sold down the road under a different label, that sort of defeats the purpose of looking at looking for that thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it um, the definition now says that single grain scotch whiskey excludes any spirit that qualifies as a single malt scotch whiskey or as a blended scotch whiskey. And mm. that is to ensure that blended Scotch whiskey produced from single malt and single grain does not also qualify as single grain, because previously they weren't specific enough. Mm. And it meant that if you had a blended Scotch whiskey, as long as it was blended from single grain and single malt, you could push it as all three. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, so now... No it's... wonder they changed it. Yeah, so now it's very specific. Yeah. And... Has to be exactly what it says on the box, mm. and uh, so the let's go into a bit more of what it is in the general term because all Scotch whiskey. There's rules, of course, for all Scotch whiskey, yeah. and all Scotch whiskey must be aged in oak barrels for at least three years, with any age statement on a bottle of Scotch whiskey needing to reflect the age of the youngest whiskey used to produce that product. So that's pretty standard across a lot of alcohols where they use aging that if you're going to list the age it has to be the age of the youngest yeah of them. otherwise people could say oh yeah it totally contains 40 year old whiskey whereas when you're blending things together like when we're talking about sherry if you remember from that episode and we were saying uh solera has can contain sherry from when the distillery was opened when the vineyard was opened which could be a hundred years ago, you, they could say, yeah, this totally contains a hundred-year-old sherry, which, yes, that might be true, but that percentage of a hundred-year-old sherry might be 0.0001%, and it might taste like a three-year-old sherry. Yeah, exactly. And for, if all in, it's... for all intents and purposes. Yeah, if, if there's one age that's in there one part per millionth and all of the newer stuff is the majority of it, it's only fair that you label it as... As the younger. As the younger, exactly. Yeah. And um, so anything that has an age range on it is known as a guaranteed age whiskey. While uh, whiskeys without age statements are called no age statement or NAS whiskeys. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of NAS blended whiskies about. Yeah, there's some really great ones out there too. Just because it doesn't have an age on it doesn't mean it isn't going to be good. Mm, and of course, you're guaranteed that it's at least three years old because it has to be. Mm. By British law. 
Yeah, the the regulations say so. Mm. And um, so let's dig into a little more history about. Well, uh, well, there's still more legal definitions to get into. Oh well, go go for it then. Yeah, because uh, the definition of a, a whiskey, or under the Scotch whiskey reg- regulations, a Scotch whiskey must be distilled or must be produced at a distillery in Scotland from water and malted barley, to which only whole grains of other cereals may be added, all of which have been processed at that distillery into a mash, converted at that distillery to a fermentable substrate only by androgynous enzyme systems, fermented at that distillery by only adding yeast, distilled at an alcoholic strength by volume of less than 94.8%, wholly matured in an in an excise warehouse in Scotland in oak casks of a capacity not exceeding 700 litres for at least three years. And, Reta- yeah, of course, it has to be bottled in Scotland. Mm. Retaining the colour, aroma and taste of the raw materials used in and the method of its production and maturation, containing no added substances other than water and plain E150A caramel colouring. <laughs> and it can't have an alcohol strength of less than 40% strength by volume. Yes, precisely. So if you tick all of those boxes, you've just made a scotch. You've made a scotch, yeah. Hmm. Exactly. And um, speaking of just making scotches, the first time that that happened, well, the first time <laughs> that was uh, that was spoken of, the first written mention hmm. of scotch whiskey... It was 30 years after the Irish whiskey had first mentioned of it, I believe. Mm, it was in the Exchequer Rolls of Scotland in 1494, <laughs> which said... To Brother John Cole, by order of the king, to make aquavitae eight bowls of malt. Now, that's about 850 kilograms. Holy moly. So he, he he requested that the king requested that the monks make about 850 kilograms of scotch, because at that time, the person to whom that was addressed, Friar John Carr, was the distiller at the Lindoris Abbey in mm. Newburgh, Fife. And uh, that... Well, Distillery is considered to be the birthplace of Scotch whiskey. It's considered largely to be the place where whiskey first began being brewed in Scotland. Yeah. And of course, it's believed that those monks took that recipe there from Ireland. <laughs> they probably did. But the 800 and something bowls of barley, malted barley, mean that's a significant amount. So one would assume that they were making Scotch in commercial quantities at that point in time yeah well if they're producing like over 800 kilograms of it that's mm. or, or needing 800 kilograms mm. of materials ingredients mm. for for the king yeah yeah i mean that that's a lot of scotch yeah oh yeah, that is a lot of that is a lot of scotch but then i suppose the king was a fan of such things but uh oh. the story goes on because there is a story around the uh Lindore's abbey Mm. In 1543, the abbey was sacked by a mob from Dundee, <laughs> and uh, it took some damage and some stones went missing, as happens during a sacking. And then <laughs> in 1559, it was sacked again by John Knox, who was the founder of the Presbyterian Church of Scotland and mm. uh, a group of his followers. And after that damage was done, they began stealing stones from it to use in construction of the nearby town of Newburgh. <laughs> and so then it was kind of reduced down to being a few leftover stones in the shape of buildings. But in 2015, work began to resurrect the abbey. 
and in 2017 it began producing whiskey again after hundreds of years as the Lindores Abbey Distillery. And people wow. can now go on historical distillery tours where they go through the historical parts of it and the distillery parts of it. That sounds really cool. Hmm. Imagine being in a... I, I, it's still hard to imagine being in a building that's more than like 500 years old because being in Australia, most pretty much... Well, not pretty much. Every building is less than 300 years old. Yeah. Because it has to be. Hmm. Because we haven't been here that long. <laughs> Was it 1788 we, we got here? Yeah. The first fleet anyway. Yes, the first fleet arrived mm. in 1788, yeah. And of course, you know, the mud huts and things don't last for that long. So <laughs> they're not still about, unlike the cave paintings, which are very much still there. Hmm. Yeah, but, there's definitely there's definitely people that have been here first. And they've been around for 40,000 years yeah. or so. Yeah, for a very long while. Hmm. Uh, yeah, interestingly, of course, though, the historical part of the Londores distillery isn't... I mean, not whole, they're not whole historical buildings. There's no. only parts of it that are historical. Well, of and, course, because the stones got stolen. <laughs> and uh, supposedly are clearly identifiable throughout the town that they were used to build in. Really? That's really curious. Because I, I guess the buildings in the town were just sort of a hodgepodge of stuff stolen from all over. <laughs> <laughs> and the stones that were, yeah, stolen from the abbey kind of stand out, I guess. Wow. So there's there's four regions in Scotland. There's the Highlands, there's the Lowlands, there's the Isle of Islay and Campbelltown. And due to the large number of distilleries found there, the Speyside region is also recognised by the Scotch Whiskey Association as a distinct region. So they are specifically Scotch whiskey regions. regions. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole movie about the Highlands yeah. or called Highlander. Called Highlander, yes. Mm. There can be only one. <laughs> there can be only one. There's only one movie, right? Yeah. And well, no, actually there are many. And a TV series. <laughs> but one day all the distilleries will battle and only one will remain. <laughs> there can only be one owner. There can only be one oligarch. Yes. It'll probably be Bacardi. Yes, they will do battle with all of the others. Or um, Campari. Or Campari. Mm. So the Lowlands contain a few different breweries, Bladnoch, uh, Glen Kinchy, Annandale, and Ailsa Bay from the Gervan Distillery. In the Speyside, which is which gets its name from the River Spey, or S-P-E-Y, Spey, Spey, probably Spey. Spey, probably Spey, yeah. Mm. It is Scottish. Uh, you've got Balvenie, Glen Farclass, uh, Glen Fittich, Speyburn, the Macallan, Glen Livet, the Glen Rothers, and many more. The Highlands is the largest area by size and in whiskey production. And you've got Aberfeldy, Ben Nevis, Dalmore, Glen Ord, Glen Morangi, which is a really nice one. I've had that one. Old Poltenay, Talibandi, and Tumartin. And uh, in Campbelltown, uh used to have over 300 distilleries there, but currently only has three. Uh, Glen Scottia, Glen Gyle, and Springbank. And from the Isle, which has eight producing distilleries, Ardberg, Balmore, Bunnahabane, and Lafroague. I've totally butchered all those names. And I believe Telisca Storm is also from the Isle... No, sorry, Telisca Storm is from the Isle of Skye. Mm. 
And what's uh, truly interesting about that is when you consider that all of those distilleries are in just over 80,000 square kilometres that makes yeah. up Scotland. A tiny, tiny region. I mean, to, to put that into perspective, Australia is 7.692 million square kilometres. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. And uh, and America is 9.83 million square kilometres. And then you've got literally hundreds of distilleries in the 80,000 square kilometres of Scotland. Yeah. Where they do love their whiskey. This is some really fantastic whiskey, though. Oh, yeah, some amazing whiskey. Mm. I mean, whiskey that you'd... Yeah, spend enough to buy a car on. <laughs> a good car. Too. Spend, <laughs> spend even... enough to get your deposit on a house. Far out. So, I mentioned Talisker because that's our top drop for this evening. Mm, and it is a delicious one. We've we've both uh, had Talisker before. Mm. And, yeah, it's smooth and complex. And, and, and a little bit smoky. Yeah. Mm. It's... Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed having a bottle of that. It was one of, one of the nicest ones I've had. Mm, and, of course, in, in line with what we consider to be important for a top drop, it comes in at the sub-$100 mark for, for price. The price of a top drop could be as long as a piece of string. How much do you want to spend? You could yeah. spend $47,000 on one. Because mm, we, we, we try to make our top drop something that is affordable affordable like it's it's amazing for what you're paying yeah it's got to be expensive but worth it yeah because it's a quality that you just won't get in the lower price brackets Mm. and if you do it won't be in that price bracket for very long yeah which has happened in the past yeah like a lot of like a a japanese whiskey that i've had it was 60 dollars for a bottle of and then I come back a couple of months later to get a second bottle of it, and it's $90 a bottle. Yeah. They realized, oh, people really like this. We've made a really good whiskey. Let's crank that price up. Yeah. Because, you know, demand and supply equals price. Mm. Although, it, the, it's gone the other way, too. I bought a bottle of rum for $60 a bottle. I forget what the brand was, uh, but it was absolutely rubbish. And I come back a couple of months later and I see it on the shelf for like $40. Yep. 35 Yep. Demand drops, <laughs> price drops. Yeah. And it's... this has become an economics lesson. Yeah. So Talisker Storm has just recently won double gold at the San Francisco Spirits Awards 2018. Mm, which is no mean feat. There's not a lot of drinks that win double gold mm. at the San Francisco. And of course, they've won other awards as well, haven't they? Not Not just that one. Well, they've they've won a heap of gold. There's the gold medal at the World Whiskey Awards 2016, uh, double gold at the San Francisco World Spirit Awards 2015 and 2014, gold medal award for the World Whiskey Awards 2016, double gold at the San Francisco Spirit World Spirit Awards 2015 and 2014. Wait, I think I said that twice. Mm. But um, yeah, because of course mm. the the Talisker Storm was released in 2013 and yeah. is a NAS or no age statement whiskey. Exactly. Which is what I was saying earlier, that just because it doesn't have an age statement doesn't mean it can't be great. Mm, well, and of course it means that if it is great, it can just keep winning awards because mm. with no age statement, they can enter the exact same bottle with the exact same label <laughs> yeah. and just do it again and again and again because it's it's not a 12 year that becomes a 14 year. It's it's what it is always. Yeah. It's an un. un- 
It's a no age statement bottle. Yeah, so it's at least three years and really, really nice. Mm. However, if you have, if you buy a bottle of whiskey, if you open this bo- said bottle of whiskey, you should probably not. You shouldn't keep it more than about six months because it does have an expiry date. It may not be listed on the bottle, but after about six months, it starts to lose its flavour. Mm, you, you get diminishing returns, like a mm. very s- strong flavoured whiskey. You could probably keep drinking it, but it's not going to be as good as it was. No, it'll yeah, it loses its flavour, it loses its bite, and while it might still be enjoyable, it won't have the same wow factor that it did when you bought it. Mm, or when you first opened it. Yes. Of course, when um, once you've bought a whiskey, you can hold on to it unopened for. A Jeez. very long time. Mm. But when that oxidization starts happening, that's it. Yeah, as soon as you open it and the air gets into the bottle, mm. then it's a race against the clock. You have to drink that bottle within six months, and that's that's a tough call. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could drink a whole bottle of whiskey in six months. Oh, I could do it easily. <laughs> no, that's, that's what I mean. I don't think I could take that long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six months might be a challenge to drink it that slowly. I... But a really good whiskey, it's a shame to wait that long. I yeah. Think, honestly, I think the longest I've waited for any whiskey I've had was about three months, and that was that Japanese whiskey, that 18... No, not 18 years. It was a 12-year Hakushu distillery Japanese whiskey that we bought for our, our whiskey episode way back when. Mm, for the very first whiskey mm. episode, but we were talking very generally about whiskey. And we decided to go all out and splurge on our top drop. Yep, back in episode four, the Kahushu, mm. the Hakushu 12-year, which is more expensive now than it was back then. Yeah, because Japan's actually running out of whiskey. Mm. They've Because they're not producing an, ex, an incredible amount, because they wouldn't have realized that the demand for it would be so great, they, yeah, they produced limited quantities... And then released limited quantities, and people went, well, actually, that's pretty fantastic. Give us more. Yeah, and so eventually the prices will come back down as they lay down more to meet demand. But in the meantime, because they've got to produce it, they've got to age it, mm. there's there's a process. And while there's not as much as people want, the prices of Japanese whiskey are just going to go right up. Mm. Well, I, I did read an article that said that uh, some distilleries won't be, won't be producing any more age statement whiskies because of the such because there's such a, a high demand for the fantastic Japanese whiskies. Mm, and obviously the easiest way to meet demand is going to be to just leave it the requisite amount of time mm. and punch it out. Yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, if, well, if people are screaming for it. And there's no point in putting 1 year or 5 year on a bottle like you've got to leave it at least Eight. 10 or 12 for it to be worthwhile. I think 8 is the lowest age statement I've seen. Yeah, no, I'd probably agree with that. I don't think I've seen anything lower, and that means waiting a very long time to be able to meet demand. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to wait years anyway. Yes. There are quite a few distilleries open in Scotland currently that haven't actually produced any whiskey because they're still waiting for that three-year requirement. Yeah, and while Japan obviously doesn't have to meet the requirement for a Scotch whiskey, they still have to meet requirements for whiskey. Mm. 
Yeah. And there is aging involved. Yes, indeed. naturally, if you were to produce a whiskey and then immediately bottle it and sell it, it'd be rubbish. It wouldn't taste good at all. <laughs> so, reminds me of Moonshine, actually. Mm, well, that was literally what they did. They straight out of the distillery. Into the bottle and Ugh. out to the people, because it's illegal anyway, so who's going to complain? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, I don't have anything else, actually. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... I think that's it for yeah. for our whiskey episode. So let's do the plugs. Be sure to join us next time when we talk about drinking demographics. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a very so literally who, informative episode. Yeah. Who drinks what when. Yeah. And where as well, which does make a difference. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to dig down into finding out who enjoys what. Because, you know, I'm... Well, we we are both middle class white straight people, and we like a pretty we we like middle class drinks really, and we might splurge on the more expensive ones every so often. But what we buy is generally the same thing as other people who are also white, who are also middle class and relatively straight. Yes, largely. I, I would say that that's, uh, that's accurate. So mm. we'll we'll try to give you a balanced view on everything mm. in, in that episode. Now, uh, if you have any suggestions for future episodes about drinks or other drink-related informative things, do uh, email us and let us know at uh, agooddrop at gmail.com. Yep, you can also find us on Facebook. We are A Good Drop Podcast. Oh, we're on iTunes and your favourite podcast app as a good drop all about alcohol uh, you can also find us on our website agooddrop.com.au and of course we've got our uh, blind beer taste testing on YouTube yeah we've got a small presence up there hopefully you enjoy seeing our faces yes and uh, I think that's, that's it that's it that's that's the plugs tell, tell your friends about us we're always hoping that you'll tell your friends and yeah you know Get us more people who are listening who will hopefully contact us and let us know what they think. Yeah, share the news, spread the love, and until next time, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>